Welcome to Real Quick. I'm Kristen, VP of Brand at Help Scout, the company behind In The Works. In this installment, I'm chatting with women who weren't afraid to build businesses for people like themselves, even when it felt risky to lead with their identities. In this episode, I'm interviewing Kayla Casimira and Erin Pontel, co-founders of the Agua Fresca brand Agua Bonita, about how they're building a business around their cultural identities and what it feels like to be the first Latina-owned beverage company to raise more than $2 million. Kayla, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Real Quick. I'd really love to dive in and get started by hearing more about the founding story. Maybe even start with how the two of you met. So this is Erin. Hi, so excited to be here. Uh, Kayla and I met uh, over two years ago now, uh, the week before the pandemic started, technically. I was at another company and she had just started there. And I was leaving on maternity leave that week. So we only overlapped for a couple days before I left, went off to have a baby. And I came back from maternity leave to the news. The company was closing. So I was out of a job. Kayla was out of a job. Uh, We were texting each other and sort of lamenting about what we were going to do next while we were locked indoors. Both had little ones at home, not sure what to do. And we just sort of tossed out, what if we start our own company? And a few days later, honestly, Agua Bonita was born. And I'll let Kayla chime in with her side of the story. Yeah, I met Erin um, while I was consulting. Prior to that, I had been working for Coca-Cola. And so that's really kind of where I learned a lot about beverage. But I realized that in that job, I was never going to see, you know, like my dreams come to fruition and like your ideas implemented. Um, so that's how I started consulting. And then, yeah, I took my last consulting job the week that the pandemic was announced. So when it was kind of time to take advantage, I guess, of having more time on our hands, um, I really wanted to do something that was reflective of ourselves, um, not only just as like female founders and of our like past professional experience, but something very culturally reflective of ourselves on shelves. So Agua Bonita really checked all the boxes on both sides from like a consumer standpoint and what we thought people were looking for on that side. Um, but then really being able to fulfill a lot of personal types of goals with a product. I want to talk a little bit more about how deeply ingrained culture your product is. It feels like an evolution, right? It feels like an elevation of this childhood staple in in my mind. And so I'm just very curious, like how you landed on the brand and the flavors and like, how did you find this perfect match of the narrative and the product? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say we took a lot of inspiration from my family. My, My grandpa was a migrant farm worker, so he would bring home fruit from the fields and make aguas frescas all the time. And even now, as an adult, uh, my mother-in-law makes aguas frescas all the time. Every time that she's home from Mexico, I think I just got lazy and just stopped doing it, Um, which is really, I think, the story of like a lot of young millennials really, right, is that you have these things that have always been in your house and you totally know how to do it, but you just like get busy with life. Um, So yeah, so we took a lot of inspiration from my family and just like those cultural flavors that like 
everyone knows like oh this is a mexican flavor right like mango habanero or like watermelon chile with like watermelon and tajin and made those um you know core pillars of um of our r&d process because those are not really uh, traditional aguas frescas flavors but they're like traditional cultural flavors you know and mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. yeah so it was just it was i think just us trying to be a little bit innovative and bring this uh, nostalgic feeling and very traditional way of doing things uh with a with a modern twist i want to kind of dig into culture a little bit more because i think that it's so fascinating particularly like as women of color when you think about like what's often marketed to our demographic, right? How are you able to carry on some traditions without carrying on some of the baggage, especially when a lot of cultural foods aren't necessarily there because they were the healthiest throughout all time. It was like, you know, I'm a black woman. A lot of, I'm from the South. A lot of what I grew up eating is not because it was the best of what was available for black people in the South. It was like leftovers, right? That's the whole history of a lot of Southern food, right? Um, And so it's kind of like this balance between how do you carry forward something that's culturally relevant while also recognizing, well, I'm much more educated than my ancestors are. I have much more information about what is good for us. Yeah, there have been, you know, internal decisions that we've had to make, especially throughout the R&D process, um, you know, around like what ingredient choices do we go with, right? Um, so it's like for us, you know, really wanting to be like a less sweet version um, and trying to axe added sugar when and where we can. But, you know, having some skews that might have some agave in them, but then still looking at, you know, the old way of doing things and realizing like, well, traditional almost fresca has 80 grams of sugar and this has 15, even if it has a little agave, you know? And so really kind of still being like, well, we're very decidedly better for you still. And yeah. And, you know, a lot of it has to do around that education point too, because, you know, when you think of health food and kind of the standards for what constitutes a healthy food um, these days, there's a lot of like labeling, right? Like organic and non-GMO and, and things like that. Um, but for us, you know, I don't know if we will ever be organic because we don't discriminate against fruit. You know, we want to rescue as much fruit and the whole like organic industry kind of contributes to food waste in a lot of ways. And so I think that there have just been some very nuanced decisions that we've had to make as we evolve to kind of balance what feels culturally relevant um, to our like heritage as a culture and then like pop culture. I think a lot of the decisions we made too very early on, um, you know, you can't be everything to everyone. Like Kayla said, we're not healthy. We're not celery juice, right? You're not drinking us as a health choice. You're drinking us as a cultural experience, as a celebration. It's a fun drink, but we did everything we could to make it as better for you as possible. So we are very decidedly no artificial flavors, even though that's easier and cheaper. We're not using high fructose corn syrup even though that's easier and cheaper. And we really tried to make something that felt as culturally um, authentic as possible while still, you know, not having 80 grams of sugar. Tell me more about the go-to-market challenges that you faced, if any, but I'd love to hear how you were able to overcome that or just even make decisions where you felt like empowered to make a call even if it felt like someone else would have made a different one. My first thought was just when we started this in summer of 2020, 
We did originally chat with some investors and tried to get some money to start the process. And everybody we talked to, we pitched it, but there was no category for Aguas Frescas at the time. Um, and people just said, you know, there must be a reason why there's no category. So this, you know, nobody's going to buy this. And we were very, very sure that it was happening. We saw the writing on the wall. We really went for it and we just did it ourselves. We bootstrapped almost entirely the first run and, you know, launched entirely direct to consumer at first because we were in the middle of a pandemic and that was the only option. And now there is a category. Some major players are in the space. There's a new brand launching every month, it seems like, with their own version. And um, at at this point, it just feels very validating that we saw it and we really were the first beverage in the category in the ready-to-drink space, Um, even though, you know, going to market was tricky because nobody else, nobody else really saw what we saw at the time. Yeah. And I will say, like, this is kind of why who you take money from is so important because the investors that we do have on our cap table now, like they get it. And, uh, you know, the investors that we were first approaching really just didn't get it. And so it makes those conversations a lot easier, um, as you grow and like the struggles that you go through as you grow, um, when you have investors that understand what you're trying to accomplish and like the cultural significance of what you're trying to accomplish, um, aside from just being like, well, there's no category. So no, you can't have my money. Has it been that those investors have to have that shared experience, that shared identity in order to get it? Or do you feel like it's really more so just like anyone can get it? It's just about whether or not they believe. Yeah, I think it's a little bit 50-50. And this is actually reflective of our um, customer base too. The largest amount of dollars on our cap table are from people who get it. But I will say like, we have investors across the board who are just like wanting to partake in something that is culturally significant and interesting to them. And they can see the market opportunity and like the importance of having products like ours exist, even if they don't have that shared experience. And like, we see that with our customers too, right? Like we have like 50% Hispanic consumers that are like, okay, I understand what this is. I like this. I want this. And then there's the other 50%, we call them like the culinarily curious that they range across all ethnic backgrounds, but they just want to like partake in worldly flavors and like a cultural experience. So I think it's, it's a little bit of both. When you think about like any other barriers that you faced when growing and funding your business, how did you overcome them and, or what would be your advice for other folks that are starting businesses that may be facing some similar challenges? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just saw a list just, yeah. just shower over both yeah. of you. I don't know. Is starting a business hard? It looks hard. It's so easy. First of all, if you're going to start a business, especially in CPG, you need more money than you think that you do, like always. Um, But also like the fundraising landscape is a good old boys club. And like, especially being a woman of color founder, like we're the first uh, like Latina led uh, company in our industry to like raise more than $2 million, which is crazy um, because it's 2022. And I can understand why, like after going through it, um, you can definitely see like why and the biases and um, yeah, and it's difficult. So like the the way that we kind of got our first um, 
big waves of money in was actually going to pitch competitions and like winning a ton of pitch competitions and really using that as leverage to like force investors um, to take a harder look at our companies uh, or at our company. So yeah, I mean, I would just say you're all really, really, really think through your capital needs and how you're going to get that money because those biases are still like inherently there in the fundraising scene. You mentioned being the first in terms of the first Afro-Latina-owned beverage brand to raise $2 million. What does it feel like to be a first? Like, is there a lot of pressure? Is it empowering? Is it, does it open doors for you? Or do you, like, do you not think about it? Tell me more about what it feels like to be a first. Um, I would say all of the above. I would say, like, it is very empowering. It's, you know inspiring it's one of those things that it's also sad you know it's it's a it's a lot of different emotions I think that my goal with anything that we do is that yes it is great to be the first but I want to be the best (laughs) and so there is a lot of pressure that comes with that too and just it feels like an obligation like to our people to like take this money and do something really great with it and like take the opportunity that you're given and do do something really great with it. That's something that keeps me up at night all the time is just like, you know, kind of like living out your ancestors' wildest dreams. It's also a ton of pressure and we're just trying our best here. Yeah, I was going to say it's a lot of responsibility. It just feels almost like we've been given this position that now we have to do something with and it just people took a gamble on us and now, you know, we have to do something with it to show that everybody else deserves the same opportunity, I think. Real quick, best place you've ever visited on vacation? I'm going to say Cambodia. Mexico. (laughs) I should have seen that one coming. (laughs) Tell me what part of Mexico, or do you love just like anywhere? (laughs) We've been all over. I mean, I think we've gotten... In some places we really shouldn't have. We got lost in like the forest for like, I don't even know, like 13 hours at one point. But uh, so we've we've really seen a lot of Mexico, more than I probably care to have, but it's a beautiful place. Last book you read. I'm currently reading a book called All the Devils Are Here. Oh, I am currently reading uh, Trader, Becoming Trader Joe. And best snack to pair with an agua bonita. I'm gonna say hummus, just because I think that's the best snack to pair with anything. Uh, tacos. I don't know if that's a snack though, but uh, I'll say tacos. <laughs> I mean, it depends on how hungry you are. A yeah. taco <laughs> might as well be a cracker at some points in the day, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also want to know, like, what's your, each of you, tell me what your favorite flavor is. Ooh, uh, watermelon chile. Like, that will just always have a like a place in my heart as hard as it's been at some points to produce um i think we finally have cracked the code it's yeah i'm gonna say mango habanero uh i love the sweet and spicy but i love mangoes takes me to vacation every time i drink it okay so for everyone that's listening where can we find aguabunita and what are the best channels to connect with you so if you're interested in picking up a case of Agua Bonita for yourself, you can visit our website at www.drinkaguabonita.com. Or if you are in California, you could head to your local Nuggets um, and Mother's Market to try us out for yourself. 